Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hello, this is Billy Tarasi with the Modern Divorce Podcast. Back to you with another episode that I think you're going to find very, very helpful, very, very relevant. We're talking about the phases of a high conflict divorce and how to get through them, how to address the planning stage before you file the pendency of the divorce, which can feel like forever. It sometimes lasts several years. And then how to thrive afterwards. And we are so lucky to be joined today by international divorce coach, Camilla Kahlberg. Camilla, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Billy. I look forward to uh, to being your guest on your podcast and and sharing what I know to be true. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. So without further ado, tell people what you do, and then let's dive right into how to thrive and how to plan through a high-conflict divorce in phase one, which is before you filed. Um, yeah, not yet. So what I do, I'm a professional coach. I'm an international coach, as you said in the introduction, and I now support men and women going through a divorce. Uh, and the reason for that, I was in that toxic relationship myself, and I had no idea how to plan for divorce. So I actually sat on that. I procrastinated the decision for more than two years. I could see my my mental and emotional health uh, derated, and so did my daughter. And at that one point, I just had to come to a crossroad and say no more. And I thought I was the only one. <laughs> I don't know, but I thought I was the only one in this environment, this society, in the world, and that. But then reaching out, and so there's so many people out there who doesn't don't reach out for help, and that's why I'm now here and so happy to help so many men and women get a better life and on the other side of the hoops. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. And what you experienced, you know, spending two years knowing you needed a divorce and not knowing what to do is so common. Is so common. Most of the time, when I'm talking to someone who's ready to file for divorce, they've been thinking about it for three years and they've waited until things are very, very, very bad and they've hit their breaking point. So how can people prepare for divorce when they know they need one and they're in a toxic, high conflict relationship? Mm. How they can prepare for that. I think the first part of the preparation is to actually, it starts by honoring who you are and what you deserve in life, what life you deserve. That's really where you're at the crossroad. Is this the relationship I'm in right now? Does this serve me or doesn't it serve you? Like I, I procrastinate with, uh, on this uh, the divorce for two years, but you say it's coming for more than three years. So we're actually pour, uh, putting our life on pause for three years and more. And that's where, so that's the first kind of flag. So be prepared and dare to lean forward. And then I would say um, in order to um, to prepare for that, what I know to be true, and that's also why I stepped into being an international coach, get 
professional people on board, like a lawyer as yourself, like a therapist, like a coach, someone else who can help you plan. I had first I had my coach, and I would never have planned, been able to plan my divorce. I planned every single moment, every minute, how I was going to break it, where my daughter was going to be. I had my entire network lined up for that one conversation at 8 p.m. that night. Wow. And that made me, um, um, from when I took the decision that right now, no more. I so just got everything in order and then I took back control and then it was me driving it and I was no more a victim of the relationship I was in. Okay. Oh, wow. There was a lot there. What, what many people do when they, when they realize, wow, this relationship isn't serving me. I don't have the life I want. I'm not proud of the life I'm living. That's usually kind of the starting point. And then what usually happens is that's when people try to start setting some boundaries, try to start changing the relationship and to see, can I, within my relationship, get to a point where I do feel good about my life and my relationship and myself. And did you try that? Did you go through a period of trying to, to set different boundaries and set different parameters and change your relationship and tell me how that went? Mm, I, I love that because actually that was before the planning of it. But I did, and actually, I went with the person I was with. I left him first time when my daughter was just about a year. Then we were split up for two years. We lived each other in different places, and then we redrew, uh, rejoined, or what do we call it, recoupled. And we spent more than three years in couple therapy. I can't remember how much money we invested in this, and he knew he had to work on his um his behavior so we had couple therapy he had his own therapy sessions on a weekly basis we were invested so much we were on these romantic retreats but there was no sign of improvement mm. on the other side that i uh, when we flipped the coin i start losing my hair mm. i was afraid to go to the bed at night my daughter started to uh, do self-sabotage. There were so many signs that even though we tried to heal or fix what could not be broken, it just stopped to fall into more pieces. And that's why I came to the very clear crossroad. I can no longer be in this relationship. Well, this relationship doesn't serve how I want to live my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the things that you talked about that you planned out was how you were going to break the news. And this is a big deal for people. People really struggle with, and they ask me, should I tell him before we get served? And usually women are the ones filing for divorce, which is why I'm saying him. But it, it's not always that way. Sometimes men file for divorce and they wonder the same thing. Should I tell her or should I just have her served? Should you reach out to her? So how did you come to the conclusion that you were going to sit down with him? Okay. Actually, so, okay, <laughs> it was Easter and he was doing some painting. And the person he is, he got really, really aggressive. I'm giving him two years. and. On that Easter, um, what happened a few months before that was in January, we were called to a meeting in kindergarten and they told us 
So my kid, my our daughter has had a therapist for a year because she started to react. Nobody had even asked how our family environment was. Mm-hmm. And we were called to this meeting uh, in kindergarten, and uh, we were told that they were not sure whether she could actually manage to go to this private school, a top boarding school in Copenhagen area, as a day student. And that's why the breaking point where I said I was crying in the meeting, I said, I know what's going on at home. You don't know, but I know. And so end of February, on the end of January, I very quickly, like two two days after that meeting, I got a, um, I don't know, a child therapist on board. And we started uh, having sessions with the child, the therapist, actually to help heal our daughter. As we were meeting this therapist on a weekly basis, I used that one of those meetings as my opportunity of a window of opportunity to break the news. I didn't dare to break the news at home. I was afraid whether he was going to hit me. I was so scared, but I knew I could I could break the news in this neutral on these neutral grounds, and I would not be alone. And that's how I planned it in every step, every minute. Uh, on that specifically. I really like that. And many times when a couple is breaking down, one person will say, can we go to therapy? And the other person will say to me, you know, I don't want to do therapy. I am done. And I will suggest that they do therapy because there's a lot to work out while you're restructuring your relationship. If you have children and having that therapist space and mediator to set some ground rules can be a very useful tool in planning what is our life going to look like post-separation. And many times um, the person who's leaving has to, or ends up in a position where they're saying, listen, I need a break. We need a trial separation for the good of our relationship. And he or she may know that there's very little hope that things are going to work out, but you need a plan. You need a plan for where are we going to live? How are we going to share our children? How are decisions going to be made? So what are some top tips to help people figure that out? Were you able to stay in the same house? That's many questions here, but were we able to stay in the same house? So it was my house. So he had to move out. I was... um, I was still saying, I'm not sure whether I truly deeply believed that, but I was willing to say we, if we could do this cola couple fair, like cola, what do you call uh, a cola? I can't even remember what it's called now, but this cola relationship where we're living apart, but still being a family. I kind of uh, built that dream so we would have a smoother family environment. Yeah. We stayed together for three months and I would tell you, it was the most terrible three months we ever had in the way that he, we, we even went on holiday together and how he got, he's a person that really can get very, very aggressive and mean. So we experienced my daughter and I verbal abuse mm-hmm. and um, how he became very mean and uh, it, towards my daughter and me, it was just unbearable. Mm-hmm. But we shouldn't have done that, but we did it, and that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't suggest anyone else to do it, oh. <laughs> except 
the three months window, like if you decide to split up that person or move forward. And I, we just recently moved house and it makes such a big change when you get from a toxic environment to a new environment. So I can really just encourage anyone to move and maybe it's both of you to move because there's always memories. That's this toxic environment and it's not good for your energy. I agree with you. I think that I often suggest people consider people like the idea of keeping the family home and having stability for the children. But I think the new start, the fresh start is almost easier. And also what you're talking about, that interim period where you're trying to figure out, are we breaking up? Are we not can be the most dangerous and the most toxic. And so many times it would be better to just rip the bandaid off, but that is so hard for people to do because people take vows and they mean them and they don't want to disrupt their children and they're afraid. It's not easy. Yeah. I, I heard such stories as well. I didn't, um, I was very clear that I had made the decision and I'm very proud still that it's mommy who's made that decision that, that mm-hmm. we should not be alone uh, together. The only reason why it took three months is that he had to find a new place mm-hmm. and he could only get into the, his new flat uh, three months or four months down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was kind to say, of course, we can stay together, but it's, it's so dangerous because the environment get so we were in a, in a verbal abusive environment and the verbal abuse just became more intense mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he was sad. He was right. angry. Right. And, you know, it just really affected uh, my health and the health of our daughter. Right. I could never. Uh, and if I may just elaborate on this, we recently moved house and we moved house because my daughter's well-being was really at a point where I was so concerned about her just a year ago. So therapist suggested that I should move house because of her. And I sat on it and I put my house on the, on, on the market and we moved. And I, I it's, this is, I'm sorry, this is not joking. Two hours after we moved into our new house, and I can feel my body now reacting, she started to change personality. In less than two weeks, the school reported how more happier she has become. And she has changed from not being able to say goodbye at school to be able to say goodbye at school in less than three weeks. Wow. That's why with this, is, this is a living experiment I do right now and I'm documented. That's why it's so important. And I haven't read no books about this, but I can see how quickly my daughter has become so much happier when lifting her up from the out of this toxic environment into a completely new environment where she relaxed. That it makes a lot of sense. If you are harboring memories that are, I mean, post-traumatic stress disorder is you are exposed to a trauma and that trauma continues to bother you. I mean, essentially. And it interferes with your ability. Once it interferes with your ability to do other things, now you've got PTSD. And so that can be anything for anyone. And if you're living in a house where a child experienced witnessing abuse or experiencing their own trauma, uh, then being in that environment can bring up those triggers again and again. And starting over can relieve that. So it does make a lot of sense. And I guess we're skipping forward 
but not necessarily. You can change the environment at any phase, pre-divorce, during the divorce, or after the divorce. And maybe the sooner the better, I guess is what you're saying. Uh, absolutely, because um, if we're talking about children, then what I know now is that if, if children live in a toxic relationship, it affects their ability to learn. Mm-hmm. And so their windows, right, to grow and become, um, I don't have the right word here, but uh, well-functioning adults and teens and with just being with social skills and all that. So, and the longer they stay in the, in the, in abusive relationship and she's seen me being verbally, being verbally abused and she takes that on her and she doesn't take on the guilt. But when I was verbally abused, she was verbally abused as well. And that's why the sooner you can move out of that environment, whether you still are in the relationship or, or married, the better for the child and then also better for you. Because verbal abuse, if you hear a verbal abuse more than 10 times, you start to believe it. Mm. It affects your health, your emotional well-being, your mentally well-being, your career. There's so many um, um, consequences by being in an environment that doesn't serve you. Mm -hmm. So does your daughter still see her dad? No, he has got a... um, a court ruling that he is not so far out to see her. Okay. So how did that happen? So, okay, that's a really interesting question. After divorce, her health started to really derute, and I got more and more concerned about her. And I started to reach out, I scream out for help. And here in Denmark, you have to go to the county. And uh, the county, I file a report, and then obviously that report goes to the dad. And that says, oh, but Camilla, she is just very unstable. You can see she's not a good mom. And she, our daughter, she's completely well-being. She's got a lot of friends. And then we were going to a lot of mediations um, and conversations in this kind of thing. I don't know. It's not a courtroom. I don't know what we call it in English even. But in a in a, a family and support environment, mm-hmm. and they they, they uh, we got judges on, the lawyers, attorneys on, and um, then this, they asked for uh, evidence from the school, mm-hmm. and they reported the same changes. Uh, in, 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 they they see that I saw uh, saw as well, mm-hmm. and um, then he asked for a um, kind of fifty fifty. I don't know what we call it. Um, stay seven days in my home and seven days at her home and she the court the short of a long story was like they they believed in what I reported her being unstable her being kind of on the edge to break down and that's where I said and I reported the verbal abuse and they listened to my case and they saw the divorce and the relationship from the eyes of a child finally and that's where a court ruling came and said, you, at this moment in time, you're not allowed to see your daughter. Wow. How long did that take for the court to understand what you were saying? Mm. Um, the whole process from reaching out first time to help, but they didn't believe me or trust me at all. Um, let's say um, about a year. One year. And how, how many times did you go in front of the judge in that year? Uh, here in Denmark, I, was, I had my attorney 
to go uh, fronting the judges, but I was uh, there was case rulings, and uh, I, 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 to be honest, I, I don't know how many. I, but uh, she was not protecting me, but she was uh, dealing with his lawyer, so I didn't know he was filing a court case uh, against me. And uh, the moment I I found out, I I researched. And I decided to put my money on one of the best lawyers or attorneys in Copenhagen areas. I'd rather prefer to invest money in a person that can help me and then like put my life, not my life on hold, but like um, holidays uh, on course and investing money in that rather than saying I can't afford that and I can do it myself, but I want to go on holiday. So that was a very clear decision and conscious decision to make made uh, that January, uh, that year. That's very impressive. And it's very hard to do here. It's very hard to get a judge to suspend a parent's parenting time based on verbal abuse. And what, what we have to do is exactly what you said. We have to show a direct impact to the child. If your child had been functioning well in, in Arizona, where I'm at, a judge would not care. <laughs> but if you can show my child is not okay with this, because were you doing one week on, one week off? Were you doing equal time? When no, no, not to be okay? no, no, not at all. That was no equal time. This has never been really present. Wow. Like, yeah. So he really shifted because suddenly, yeah. No, that's never been like that. And she okay. hasn't seen her dad. Yeah. I had never slept over since she moved out of the house. Is there and also in this oh I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Okay. So in this before um before the court has made this decision, she was also asked uh, to invite it into a meeting. But uh and she was supposed to be on on her own, but she could they could just it, it was so clear. She was so afraid and so uh, it, it, I think that situation uh, spoke by itself. I would say in English, it was very clear she was not well being, uh, not well being, or not in her well being. And what the report, the school report as well, was like: this is a girl you have to be really cautious about. Yeah. Got it. How old is she? Now she's um, seven. Uh, when all this started, she was about five. Got it. Okay. So is there a path forward where he, will, where he will see her or no? We don't know yet. So maybe by in September time, that would be a, a kind of an assessment with, with psychologists. And they will uh, all for, for the, the sake of the child. And they will interrogate him, find out how, how the, his qualities as a parent. They will find, uh, they will assess and monitor how they connect. Mm -hmm. If they connect, so because she's so afraid of him, so mm -hmm. and then from that, from all these um, uh, conversations and observations, um, they will decide what is the best for our daughter. Wow! So it sounds like the process is a little bit different there. But if I'm just recapping phase one and phase two, phase one is before the divorce, and it sounds like your biggest takeaway is plan everything. Absolutely. Plan everything and make sure that you have professional resources on board 
mm-hmm. who you can <laughs> pull in as team members. Mm-hmm. So I delegate something to you, uh, Billy. I delegate something mm-hmm. to someone else mm-hmm. with a professional um, kind of tool belt of who you trust will speak your case. Yeah. Gather your advisors, plan your exit, and get physical separation as soon as possible. Those were, were the big takeaways I heard on before. Now, during the thing that I heard you say is invest in the very best team you can get, invest in the very best lawyer you can get, and then hand that over. Is that right? Or do you have any other tips for during the divorce? Um, I think my, my tip is not only the divorce, but also your therapist, a coach, whatever. So because it's also about healing yourself mm-hmm. and making sure that you heal your trauma and your, you find inner peace so you can also help your children. Mm-hmm. And so during divorce, um, I got uh, two therapists on board to help my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I paid it myself, invested in that myself because mm-hmm. he didn't believe in me. So that is really again the planning, but that was during the that was during the divorce phase. And this is really interesting. And what I learned, I really want to share that with your your audience. And when I was in it, I just witnessed, or I could witness how she, uh, how her well being deteriorated. And I decided, okay, she needs help. So I asked my insurance company, can you help her? And I bought an insurance package, but that was saying kind of a lead time of six months, which meant I had to invest uh, in coaching sessions or therapy sessions from my own funds. So here's what I would suggest. I'd invite your audience to consider really if you are the soon, if you have children, the sooner you can buy a insurance package where it includes therapy sessions for your children the better you are. At least in Denmark, where it's a lead wind of six months. When you need it, you need it. So put that put that in the front of the planning, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is a great, a great point. Look at your insurance coverage, see what's covered, and make any changes you can, anticipating a need for more behavioral health support. That is a brilliant tip. Absolutely. And I learned it the back way, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, why, that's why as a coach, I, I really, I help my clients to thrive as, as soon as possible, as fast as possible. And that is a planning I learned the hard way. Uh, I also want to say, as a lawyer, when when we have therapists and the school, when we have objective parties who are reporting the same thing as our client, it is much, 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 much easier to have a judge take our concerns seriously. When it's just one parent's concerns versus another parent's concerns, our courts, it's like they don't hear anything. Yeah, that was also in our case. But then the school was uh, kind of called in to report how they uh, saw her and how how she showed up in school. So she was in such a bad state that you had to listen to uh, what the adults around her um, reported. Um, and because we are up against a person who has his own uh, life and new perspective of life and how reality is, but it's not really reflecting the real <laughs> the real reality. Why can we say that? So, so you so luckily that was enough evidence to. to 
whether the judge to listen to the reporting and or and say, okay, this is for the sake of a child. It's not the sake of a, of a parent. Right. Right. That's just key. It's absolutely key. Now, if we move into the last phase, post-divorce, mm-hmm. what are your top tips to thrive post-divorce? Ooh, I love that question. The top tips to thrive post-divorce. If you haven't healed your trauma, if you still linger in in grief, aggressiveness, or kind of a depression, whatever, heal. Mm-hmm. You cannot thrive if you haven't healed. Mm-hmm. And when you have healed, and you, if you work with the right resources, right coaches or therapists, you will start to find your inner peace, your inner North Star. Mm-hmm. And when you find your inner North Star, Everything around you can be chaotic, but when you know what to be true and when you trust yourself and when you love yourself, you're proud of what you've done and what you do, then then you'll really, really start to thrive and live your best life. That is major and sort of easier said than done. (laughs) On one hand, the first thing is heal from trauma, treat depression or anxiety or whatever else is going on that needs to be treated. And the third one is the the really hard thing. Learn how to hear and listen to your North Star. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. So this is really about looking inside. Change comes from within. So work with a coach that will help you identify or define what is your purpose in life? What are your dreams in life? And what, where are your limiting beliefs? What are your limiting beliefs? Where do you not trust yourself? Why do you want to stay in the comfort zone and not tapping into what is good for you and creating something new? You all, either, either you can be the creator of your future or you can be a victim of it. And like you and me, we create the future for someone else. But the, you will thrive when the moment you dare to step into the unknown. But the best way to get there is actually to work with a coach, a therapist who has the tools and will help you tap into your dreams because your dreams can't come true. And then maybe you say, ah, oh, when you listen to me right now, you say, Camila, that is not true. But then there's something is blocking you for owning that. And then it's about healing. It's about working on what is blocking you for leaning forward. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And it is the perfect segue into how can people reach you and work with you? Mm, Yeah. So they can reach, uh, I'll find the various platforms like LinkedIn and Facebook. So my name is Camilla Kalberg with a C. I don't know if you're in your show notes, you will put it in. And my website is a Kalberg Coaching. Um, and I think that's the best way to uh, to reach out to me on from my my website or follow me on either Facebook or um, or LinkedIn. I'm very present on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. Yeah. And how yeah. long do people usually work with you, your coaching clients? It really also depends on 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 where you are. And then I have group coaching sessions, uh, group coaching programs before and after, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, before and during. Mm-hmm. And then after, because we are different 
emotional and mental stages, depending on where we are on the, on the divorce journey. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you all have enjoyed this episode of the Modern Divorce Podcast, make sure to like this episode, rank it, leave a review, and then we will make sure to get you Camilla's website here. Camilla, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Billy. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.